0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is Pentecost. Our theme is um, Where God Dwells. The text that we're going to focus on is uh, on the next slide, Matt. We're going we're to have a fun today. See, Pastor called all hit his clicker. And so we're going to do this verbally. And so we're going to get some slides in here. And I'm sorry if this is a little small. I I was trying to remember how big the screens were here and everything, so I'll I'll read it out loud. This is our, our focus today. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave Them utterance. This is our text. Um, This is the familiar story of Pentecost, and it's a story that we hear a lot. We hear about the tongues. We hear about how it happened fifty days after the Passover. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of rich detail. Peter, in a little bit, is going to stand up. He's going to give a cracker jack sermon, and it's going to. And five thousand people are going to come to believe in Jesus. On this day. But there's a lot going on here behind the scenes. And so the question I really want to come to is the question on the next slide is where does God dwell? Where does God dwell? Because that's a key theme through all of Scripture. Now we know implicitly the first answer that the children gave is that God is in heaven, He is above all things. He is this creator God who is above all, in all, through all, amazing. He's so big compared to we who are so little, and so we very humbly get on our knees, and God is so big and so unknowable that that's where we perceive God. Um, At the seminary, um, they teach us as we learn how to do liturgy and things, is that when we pray to God, we're always looking toward God. Our backs are usually toward the congregation, although you guys kind of have a cool setup here because I can go behind the altar, and then I can pray here, and that's liturgically proper too because um, liturgically we perceive God's presence at the table because that's where he meets us in the Lord's Supper. Um, But that sense that God is outside of us, and so The normal image of a pastor turned away from the congregation, praying up to God, also gives this image that God is this big, amazing thing up there, and that we are just kind of down here trying to reach up to Him. This is not a wrong thought, because God is so big and so amazing. But as we learn in our story today, where God dwells, where we perceive God, can be a little bit more complicated than that. So we're gonna go on a little road trip throughout the Old Testament um, to see where God chose to dwell. (laughs) And it really starts right at the beginning. Um, Right right at creation, God makes His dwelling place, not above, separated from His creation, but He's right there in the midst of it. We we see in Genesis chapter 3, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The presence of God was right there in the garden. Now, this scene happens from after the fall, after things have been separated already, um, but it just gives us this visual of the way things were. So to recap, God makes a world in six days, and, and what's the world? It is good. He makes it good. He doesn't make it to separate himself from it. He makes it to inhabit it He makes it to dwell in. He makes it to share in. To be a part of this creation that He has created. And so when the sin happens and He's separated and and, and Adam and Eve are exiled out of the garden, He no longer can dwell with them in holiness. As we see later in the Bible, when a sinful person comes before God, that... They, um, he is killed because uh, he is not holy, he or she is not holy enough to stand in the presence of God. So, really, by kicking them out of the garden, God is protecting them because they can no longer be in his presence. But he still wanted to choose to dwell and has his presence with his people. So many years later, he reveals himself on top of Mount Sinai. And then he tells them, hey, you got to build this tabernacle. And in this tabernacle, if you do these right things, you follow this code of holiness, I can be and I can dwell with you, and you can have mercy um, from my presence. And once you do this, I, my glory, my presence will be with you. So we see in Exodus 40:43, 40, 43, Matt's doing a great job, by the way, that then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Glory of the Lord is one of these catchphrases in the Old Testament. It means the presence of God. The kavod Yahweh is what it is in Hebrew. And, and, and His presence filled that temple, and then they could receive mercy from His presence there in an incarnational way. Um, David got really sad, though, once the kingdom came together, that God had to dwell in this tent, and he lived in an entire palace. So he wanted to build a temple. Um, God told him, no, don't build a temple. My glory, I mean, is greater than a tent anyway, but your son can do it. So his son did, and and, and um, when Solomon kind of had the commissioning of the temple. Um, this is a description of what happened. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 8. So the presence of God dwells with His people. It's very important because God wants to dwell with his people. He wants to make it so that he is a part of our created life. And so, it's a shame then that generations of Israelites failed to maintain the temple, and eventually God's cloud presence, the glory of God, the kavod Yahweh, stopped appearing in the temple, and then the nation of Israel was thrown into captivity. And God's presence no longer was there because they had broken the covenant. They had sought after other gods. What's the one unforgivable sin that the Bible says? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. They had committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. They had chosen other gods. They had looked to other idols for their identity, security, and meaning. And because of that, God's presence did not come. But then, because of Cyrus' decree, the people were allowed to come back to Israel. And so they rebuilt the temple. And it was seemingly great. But the elders cried out. Because although they started sacrificing at the temple again, they noticed that something didn't happen. There was something missing. There was no cloud. There was no glory. The kavod Yahweh, the glory of God, wasn't there physically. Because that's not how God would choose to dwell with his people again. Because he knew that they would forsake him. No, a different dwelling place had to come about. And so we get in First John. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. There's that glory word. We have seen His glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The same glory that was present in the Garden of Eden, the same glory that filled the tabernacle, the same glory that dwelt in the temple, the same glory that was to be a light to the nations so that all people would look to Israel to see who their Creator is, came in the form of a man. First it was a baby, but He grew up into a man. And that's where God chose to dwell. And he dwelt there for us, taking on sin, condemnation, and dying ultimately for us, and then rising again in victory for us. That's where God chose to dwell. And because of what God chose to do there, he's like, I need to connect my people to this. I need to have a way to connect People to what Jesus Christ has done, and so he decides to choose another way to dwell with his people. And so we get back to the day of Pentecost. We get back to the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all suddenly in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Wind in Greek that is pneumatos, which is comes um, is translated from the um, word ruach, which is spirit. mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The sense of filling is the same type of language used to fill the tabernacle. The same language used to fill the temple. The same language used to fill the heart of a person who calls out to God. Um, So it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Um, Fire, fire like revealed at the top of Mount Sinai where God's presence was. Fire like the pillar of fire that guided Israel um, by a cloud through night. A a pillar of fire that appeared over the tabernacle to signal to everyone that God's presence was there. God's presence no longer contained Himself within a temple or a tabernacle, but in the heart of each individual Christian. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Things operate differently now because people are mobile temples of God. God's mercy has no hoops to jump through. It dwells in you. The love of God is evident in your heart. So the water is a baptism. The love of God exists in you to inspire you to live up to this God and represent him to the world. The thing is, as a temple... I don't know if I often represent this perfect God of the universe as well as I should. And I think if you ask yourself the same question, you would agree. If I'm the dwelling place of God, if God is dwelling in me, why do I go out there and my concern is for myself and is not for the kingdom of God? Why, since God dwells in me, am I allowed to continue to sin, to seek off my own agenda? Why... If I'm the temple of God when I come home after a long day of being at church, counseling people, talking to people, and then Leah, my little two-year-old daughter, comes up and tugs on my my, um, pants, why does my sinful heart say, honey, I just need to take a moment for myself now instead of just reaching out, picking up my daughter and hugging her and embracing her? It's because even though As we dwell, God dwells in us, we are still in a world of sin. We're still living in a world of sin. And that sin enters our lives, and it tries to fight that Spirit of God within us, and we trust that that Spirit can hold us steady. Now, in the Pentecost narrative, there was this moment where they were all speaking the different tongues, and they were all talking, and they were, and they were confused. And one of the people said, well, what does this mean? Well, as Lutherans, we have a guy who likes to answer that question. So let's continue. And here we have an error with the conversion. Um, what about the, what's the next slide look like? Okay, this works. So we have the third article, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of the world to come. So as Lutherans, we ask the question, you need to say it with me. What does this? It means that I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the Gospel, enlightened me with His gifts, sanctified me and kept me in the true faith in the same way He calls, gathers, enlightens and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps me in the true faith. In this Christian church, He daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, He will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ Jesus. What is this? This is most certainly true. Not only does the Holy Spirit call, gather, and light and sanctify. He chooses to dwell with us. He lives with us. Um, he points us always to Jesus. And in Jesus, we always see that we have forgiveness of those sins. Sin is going to be an active component in our life, but we have the power to see how we are not defined by that sin anymore. And so he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies. He does give us this ability to look at our lives and say, hey, I can live for God. I can embody the new man. I'm never going to do it perfectly, but I'm going to do it for the sake of my vocations, for the sake of the world that desperately needs to hear about Jesus. Because God has chosen to dwell in a new place. And let's take a look at that new place. No, not that place, which you're on the right slide, so don't worry about it, but this place. God has chosen not to dwell in a big temple, he dwells in the hearts of the church. What we always tell kids as they're learning catechism, uh, the church is not a building. The church is a people. And so he calls these people. God enables them to have faith. He gathers them together so that they can encourage one another in the midst of this difficult world. He enlightens them to show them what his will for life actually looks like and he sanctifies them. Paul's letters are structured in such a way where he tells people about the glory of God, what Jesus has done for them, and then he encourages them to go out there and be the best Christians you can be. Have the community encourage you to be the best Christians you can be so that the world can know who Jesus is. That's the purpose of God's Holy Spirit given to us because these people, this is probably what a first century church looks like. It's a bunch of people gathered together in a private home. There's no glorious temple. It's just them and they're encouraging each other, and they're telling stories. Remember that time that Jesus was sitting down by the well when the Samaritan woman came over? It was amazing. He said that his words were living water. Or remember that time when little King Josiah rediscovered the, the, the law in the, in, the, in the library, and he brought around these great reforms? They told stories, their stories, and they encouraged one another to go out and represent God to a hostile Roman ancient world. See, today... We've had the comfort of living in a Christian community for so very long, and that's been slipping away steadily for probably about the last 50 years. The world is getting more hostile to the faith. It's not getting more comfortable with it. It's all the more important to consider that we are the place that God chooses to dwell. And it's our responsibility to represent God to the world. But we have the confidence that we never have to do that alone, that God's going to be with us and work with us and to drive us and enable us. And the moment we think that, oh man, we're actually doing it, we're actually doing this ourselves, the Holy Spirit's going to humble us and show us that it's really all about Him and what He's doing. God's presence is here. And so I started the sermon by talking about how liturgically at seminary they taught us to, you know, pray up, which is true because God the Father and the Son are seated at the right hand in heaven. It's also proper liturgically to pray inward. To look at God in the midst of you all like the children looked at you. So we're going to do something a little different to close this sermon. I'm going to come in the middle of you and I'm going to invite you to rise. Turn toward the middle and view the Holy Spirit active and alive in each of the people around you. Because this too is a community, a community built by the Spirit to represent God to the world. So as we pray, have confidence that we are praying in the midst of where God dwells. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to us again and again and again to call us to believe in Jesus, to gather us together as your people so that we can encourage one another, to enlighten us, to show us what life looks like when we actually follow your instructions for it. Sanctify us. Help us on this life of journey that we can actually grow in habits that honor you Through holiness, we know it's not about us. Continue to point us to Christ. Let our strength be his strength. Let his sacrifice be our life. And help us to be the best witnesses of Jesus in a world that doesn't want to acknowledge him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.